Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab an hour, an app on your phone, CUH app, Bible app, whatever. Kids, if you brought your Bibles, now's the time to make sure you grab that so you can read along with us. We're in a series right now. We're in week two. It's called Who Cares? Everyone say that with me. Who Cares? And we're learning in the series about how to grow a heart like Christ, or how to grow our heart more like the heart of Jesus and to care about the things that Jesus cares about. Our theme verse for this series is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We're going to go ahead and put it on the screen. And I want every grown-up here and online and every kid, if you can read here and online, to read this out loud all together. Now, kids, it's not a race. Some of them tried to beat me last service. It's not a race. We're going to read it all together. We're out loud, ready, and go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Uh, leave that verse up there, the first part here. The phrase that really stuck out to me this week where I'm just working this into my heart and into my life, into my message prep, was the idea of that God is the father of all compassion. Not that he's compassionate, that he's the source of all compassion. That's a deep phrase. That's a deep thing. The ideas of compassion and empathy are actually really big in our society and in our culture right now. Wouldn't our world be a better place and our community be a better place if people were more empathetic towards one another, right? Empathy is a hot word. It's all over social media right now. It's a big deal. But empathy and compassion are different. Psychologists talk about what empathy is compared to compassion. Empathy is when you feel what somebody else feels. When somebody is hurting, that you hurt with them. When they're sad, that you're sad with them. That you enter into what they're feeling and you're willing to sit with them and be with them in what they're feeling. It's a virtuous and wonderful thing. Our world would be better if more people had more empathy. But compassion is better than empathy. Because what compassion does, it not only feels what somebody else is feeling, compassion feels their pain, feels their sorrow, their sadness, their struggle, and then wants to step in and do something about it with action. And so the Bible says that God is the God of compassion and the father of compassion, the source of all compassion. Many people, in my experience as a pastor, feel like God is this ticked off cosmic being sitting on a glorious throne with his arms crossed, waiting for everybody to just mess it up. He's watching all of us and waiting for you to make one wrong step so he can just go smite, 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 connect five. There you go. It's connect four, whatever. I had too much coffee this morning. And where he's just out to get people. And then he doesn't care. And then he's distant and far off and unmoved. And some people go, God, do you even care? Do you even see what I'm going through? And where people are trying to just beg God to care. And let me tell you, if you're somebody who struggles to wonder if God even cares or that you have to make God care, 
You did not get that idea from this book. You got that idea from some human who misunderstood this book. What this book actually says about God is that he's the father of compassion. That when human beings are hurting, when human beings are in trouble, when human beings are in pain and are suffering and are struggling, the God of the Bible, his heart is close to them, near to them, feels what they're going through, wants to be with them in it, and then show up with work boots on and says, let's get to work, I want to help. This is the God of the Bible. And so whether you're a spiritual person or not, a religious person or not, maybe you're spiritual, but you're not religious, and you're trying to figure out this church thing and this Jesus thing, let me tell you, you want to hear more about Jesus because the Bible calls him the source and the father of all compassion. If you believe in empathy, if you believe in compassion, you think this world will be better with that, you want to learn about Jesus because he's the source of it. And so this is what we're learning about in the series, how to grow a heart like Jesus and how to grow a compassionate heart like Jesus. Last week, Pastor Dale kicked off our series and he talked to us about one of the types of people that God cares a lot about. And that category of people is called the lost. The lost. And that's how God looks at people who are far from him. God doesn't look at people who are far from him and go, you bunch of dirty sinners. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. That's a human being thing to label people like that. God calls people who are far from him lost and not because they're lost and they don't know how to use Google Maps. He calls them lost because they're like lost sons and daughters. He's waiting to come home to him. And so this morning, we're going to look at another category of people that Jesus cares about, that Jesus is compassionate towards. Last week, we learned about the lost. This week, we're going to learn about the least and the last. The least and the last. And so our passage for today it comes from Matthew chapter 25. And Miss Jessica did such a fantastic job of teaching it to our kids and explaining it to them that we're just going to read it briefly here from the Bible itself from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. This is what it says. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd shepherd separates the sheep. Say that three times as fast. Let me try that again. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? 
Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. All right, so kids and grown-ups, in person and online, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you a prayer to pray before we start talking deeper about this passage. I want everyone, I like to pray with my body, with my hands. It helps me stay more focused. So I want you, everyone put your palms up like this and you can put them on your lap. I'm going to teach you a prayer, not of a grown-up, but of a kid from the Bible. And this is the prayer of the prophet Samuel when he was a little boy that he learned how to pray so he could learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so palms up, eyes closed. Everyone take a deep breath. And pray this with me. You can just whisper it. You can pray it uh, just in your heart. It doesn't matter. But pray this with me. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Okay, we're going to take another deep breath. I pray this with me. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Another deep breath. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, so what we just read in Matthew 25 is a very important passage. Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. Matthew has 28 chapters in it. It starts with Jesus, um, how he was born and his birth narrative, and 28 ends with his resurrection. Chapters 21 through 28, that last third of the Gospel of Matthew, all takes place in one week's worth of time. All sorts of stuff is compacted between these chapters, 21 through 28. It starts with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which is what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, what we'll do in a couple weeks. It follows his teaching in the temple, where some people love what Jesus is teaching, So people hate what Jesus is teaching, and he stirs up a lot of controversy. He ends up being betrayed by Judas. He goes and does the Last Supper. He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. On Friday, he's crucified on a cross. On Sunday, he rises from the dead, and the movement is launched that will change the entire world, the Jesus movement. And Matthew 25 is smack dab in the middle of that week. I don't think it was on a Wednesday. I like to pretend it was on a Wednesday. Okay. Now in this passage here at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is speaking in parables. He's telling stories. He's saying the kingdom of God is like this. And then the kingdom of God is like this. And he just tells story after story after story. And then we get to verse 31 and in verse 31, Jesus quits telling stories. Jesus begins at this point to speak about the future. And at this point, this is when Jesus begins to say, this is what's going to happen in the future, and this is what's going to happen in the future of you, and you, and me, and everybody who hears the words of Jesus or not. This is what's going to be the future of every person alive and every person who has ever lived. He's speaking about the end. And what is to come? He's speaking prophetically. So all of us, whether you're young or you're old, need to pay attention to this. Jesus is talking about you in this passage. In fact, he's talking about a test. And so if you're taking notes, here's what's going on in this passage. There's a test that Jesus is speaking about. In Matthew 
25, let's just read it again here real quick. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This is a picture of what the Bible talks about is judgment. It's a coming test. Now, other scriptures testify to this idea as well, that Jesus will test and Jesus will judge each person. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is what scripture is talking about, the test. Now, um, kids, uh, how many of you do sports activity of some kind? Great. Okay, so kids, shout out to me. What are some of the sports we do in this room? Go ahead. It's okay. You swim. Great. Swimming. Okay. What else? Soccer. What else? Taekwondo. My man. Taekwondo. Yes. All right. What else? Golf. Awesome. Dance. Okay. Karate. Very good. Anybody else? Football. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, my kids, I have four kids, and Kate and Tessa are the, only, are the oldest ones. They're the ones who are old enough to do sports. Tessa does tumbling and gymnastics. She just started at it, and she loves it. She's getting much, much better at her cartwheel. It's looking good. And my son, Cade, he does karate. Now, I'm super proud of all my kids, but this week in particular, Kate had a test at his karate dojo. And so he actually tested for his brown belt with a black stripe and he passed. And here's the picture of him with our sensei. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Now we love, um, we love our dojo and that is Shihan, which is Japanese for master. That is Shihan Scott Rusnak. He's a great friend of ours. And we just Love, love where we go. They, he's a great sensei, and they do a great job, all the senseis at the dojo where we go, because they do a wonderful job of getting kids prepared for the test. There are no surprises with the test. They spend three months preparing. They know the kata they need to have ready, the self-defense techniques they need to have ready, the vocabulary that they need to have ready, the skills in sparring that they need to know that they need to be ready for. The sensei's job is to get the student prepared for the test. There's no guessing. There's no pop quiz. They get them ready because that's a sign of a good sensei. They're preparing their students for the test. Now, it also makes me think about other types of tests I took. So not necessarily karate, but think about uh, maybe you're a little bit older. So maybe if anybody's in middle school or high school right now or any all grown ups, if you can remember as far back from last week, think about when you were in school, okay? And I remember the types of teachers I used to loathe. I used to, and I don't want to say hate, that's too strong of a word. I used to loathe going to classes with teachers when you never knew what was going to be on the test, right? That was the worst. There's this huge exam coming up and you don't know, it could be something on the sixth page on the index in the back of the textbook and they might test you on it. You never knew. It was so hard to prepare for that and it was total guesswork of trying to figure out what's going to be on this test. The best teachers, on the other hand, and somebody back me up if you feel this way, the best teachers were the ones who told you early on, this is what is on the test. In fact, here's a sheet of paper with these topics. If you study these, you will get an A. That doesn't mean they were giving me the answers on the test. It just means they were clear of what the test was going to be about, and they helped students prepare the best 
for those tests. You guys know what I'm saying? Don't you love those types of teachers? I mean, and I feel like I learned more from those types of teachers. I studied harder for those types of teachers. I retained more information because they were very clear with me. This is what the test will be about. They were the best teachers who did that because they were setting me up for success. This is what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's telling all of us ahead of time, this is what's going to be on the test one day. Jesus is not some unkind, grumpy old cosmic being, like I said, sitting on a throne trying to hope people will fail a test. Jesus is telling everybody the test beforehand so you can pass the test. If you want to sit before a, um, a deity who is a judge at the end of your life, aren't you glad it's Jesus who will judge you? I am. I'm glad nobody else is. Okay, great, cool. Because he's the friend of sinners. And he wants everybody to pass the test. And so what's the test about? Well, the test is about this. It's about the least. It's about the least. Who is the least? Well, Jesus is pretty clear about this. He says this in verse 35 through 36. Who is the least? There it is. He says, uh, here, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then in verse 40, the first half, he says this. The king reply, will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least. Say that with me. Least. These brothers and sisters of mine. This is what Jesus is talking about. Who's the least? They're the least wealthy, the least powerful, the least resourced, the least popular, the least loved, the least healthy, the least influential. I like to call them the least and the last of our society and of the world. And Jesus says, you're going to be tested on how you treat these people, the least and the last of those among us. Now, just to be clear, um, the Bible, Jesus here is not condoning what's called works righteousness or where like, so I'm saved by whether I do good or I do bad. Only that, I thought Christianity had a different message. It does, but people miss a nuance in it. Like look here at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. The Apostle Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Are gifts free or do you have to pay for them? If it's a gift, it has to be free. Okay? It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So if you want to become a follower of Jesus and be saved by Jesus, it's free. It's free. The only thing that's required is faith. However, People stop at verse 9 and they don't read verse 10. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The evidence that I'm saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and the evidence that I am being saved by the grace of Jesus Christ is that I care about what he cares about and that I am doing good in his name. It's not I'm saved by this. It's the evidence that he's in me at all. Does that make sense? That's an important nuance. So there's a test about the least. And if the grace of Jesus is actually working its way through your heart or not, it's important. 
Um, let me tell you about some of the music I listen to. I love music. Now, a lot of you, if you might be new to church and new to our church, like, well, yeah, you're a pastor, you like music, you probably sit in your office with stained glass windows and listen to organ music all day. <laughs> That's not. Some of my favorite bands, now, one of them is a Christian band, I'll give you that, is a band called Hillsong United, which I love. Yeah, right, they're awesome, and they play very, very loud if you go and see them live. I love it loud. So, I like Hillsong United. Next one, very, uh, not so much Christian band. I love Metallica. <laughs> I'm with you, my people. My people here. Some of you are applauding for that, and some of you are like, oh, a pastor is not allowed to listen to Metallica. I've been telling you for years my favorite color is black. You should not be surprised at this, right? Okay? I love Metallica. I just do. And then another one of my favorite bands ever is the band U2. I love U2. Go and throw up the picture of the band there. I love U2. I love it. Now, if you're a student and you've never heard U2, do yourself a favor, especially if you're streaming online or whatever, open up Spotify, open up Apple Music, whatever you listen to, and go pull up the Joshua Tree album. Do yourself a favor. It'll make your day. Where's my Gen Xers, right? So good, right? Awesome. Go listen to U2. Now, the front man of U2 is a guy named Bono. Now, Bono is actually a Christ follower. And he, he's a Christ for his own unique way. He occasionally says some things are a little rock and roll from time to time. But Bono genuinely knows Jesus and loves Jesus. And especially in the late 1990s and the mid 2000s, he got very involved and became a global advocate for the poor, particularly in Africa. He launched the One Campaign. He launched the Red Campaign. He helped influence national leaders all over the globe to cancel the debt of third world countries. Because of his leadership, millions of lives have been saved because of AIDS relief in Africa. Millions of lives have been saved because of his effort to make malaria extinct in Africa and to end extreme poverty in developing countries. He's done phenomenal work all across the globe and using his platform to advocate for the poor. Do you know why Bono does this? Because of Matthew 25. He has clearly stated it over and over again that Matthew 25 is one of the key scriptures of his entire life, taking very seriously what Jesus has said about how to treat the least of these. Listen to this. Bono said this one time. He said, because whatever thoughts we might have about God, who he is, or even if God exists, most would agree that God has a special place for the poor. The poor are where God lives. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is where the opportunity is lost and lives are shattered. God is with the mother who has infected her child with a virus that will take both of their lives. God is under the rubble and the cries we hear during wartime. God, my friends, is with the poor. And he is with us if we are with them. Let me say that one more time. God is with the poor. And God is with us if we are with them. Bono's right. God does have a special soft place in his heart for the least and the last, the poor and the marginalized. If God had to pick sides, God always picks the side of the poor. And if you feel far from God right now, we could talk about prayer, we could talk about Bible study, that's all important. Those are my jams, I love those things. But if you feel far from God, one of the things that you could do is go get yourself around the least and the last because that's where Jesus is. If you want to be close to him, 
Those are who he is close to. It's the least and the last. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's not only a test about how we treat the least, but Jesus also flips the script, and there's a disguise that's involved in this whole teaching that throws everybody off. It surprises everybody in this, in this teaching that he's giving. There's a disguise. He says it here, verse 40, one more time. That the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He's saying, it's me you are doing it for. And now, did Jesus mean it's like you're doing it for me? I think to a degree that's true. But I believe that Jesus meant this literally. I do believe that. It's a mysterious teaching all throughout the scriptures. The Hebrew Old Testament and the Christian New Testament, God is often, or his angels, are coming in disguise to people to help them or to test them all throughout the scriptures. Check this out. Hebrews 13, 2 talks about this idea. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, God somehow comes to us in disguise as the least of these to test us. Let me tell you about my friend, George, from when I was at Florida State. Uh, my wife, Leah, and I, we spent a lot of time in Tallahassee working at a campus ministry, which is kind of like a college church, and FSU needs a lot of Jesus. Like, whoa, right? Wow. Now, Gators fans, thank you for respectfully holding back there, not hurting my feelings. I appreciate that. Um, and we were doing college church there. Now, most of the time, we're just dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds, and sometimes a super, super senior at Florida State. Um, but I made a friend who came for help one day who was 75 years old. His name was George. And um, George needed a lot of help. George was homeless by choice. George had severe Parkinson's disease, which means it was very hard for him to talk. When George would talk, if he was going to introduce himself, he would talk like this. My name is George. That's how he would talk. He had a severe drooling problem because of his Parkinson's. He smelled horrible. He literally had three teeth. Sometimes when he would come by and he would need food, say, George, you want some spaghetti? We have some left over from dinner last night. No. Do you want salad? No. What do you want? Cake. Oh, whatever. Here you go. So we give him cake. Um, George had three teeth, like I said. He was hard to be around. He was hard to love. I first met him when he came by and he needed help because he was having a hard time walking because of his Parkinson's, so I helped him get a walker. And then after that, George kept coming by, not for handouts, but to just say thank you. And he became my friend, which, by the way, is very rare in that type of work for somebody to come back only to say thank you and not ask for anything else. It's very rare. And so George became my friend. Come to find out, George um, loved God. He was a Christ follower. He was filled with God's spirit, knew the Bible, we would pray for each other. Um, he was my friend. Now, the thing is with George, even though he was my friend and even though I loved him, he was really hard to love. When George came by to say hi, your day was shot because how much, George, how much help George needed. And it was very difficult to love. And oftentimes, like, God, I need your help. Give me your love for this man right now. Help me, help me, help me. And God would, and we would love him. And then one day, around 4 o'clock, George, with his walker, slowly walked into the office. It was me and an intern who was sitting there. And he said, well, I'm going to go home now. All right, man. Have a great day. See you later. 
And then something dawned in my mind. I looked back at him and went, hmm. Jesus, is that you? Jesus, is this, are you in disguise right now? Like, is this the most absolutely pitiful disguise you could have possibly put on to test us if we would love you? I mean, Lord, you've really gone over the top here, so. Is this you? I was just quietly thinking that to myself. I looked up, sorry, man. Have a great day. I'll see you later. And he nodded and took his walker and took a couple steps. And then he stopped. And then he came back into the office. And he looked me dead in the eyes, not the intern, me. And said these words I'll never forget. Again, think about what I was just quietly thinking to myself. He stopped and looked dead at me and said, Hey, did you know that Isaiah 52 says he was a man of homely appearance? I just thought you should know. I looked at the intern like, did that just happen? And she looked going, that totally just happened. We flipped to Isaiah 52, and it's a prophecy about Jesus, about his appearance was mauled beyond human recognition, that he was going to be an ugly-looking person. And we're like, oh. And so I ran out to go grab George. I'm like, it's the Lord. And I ran out to go find him. And I couldn't find him. He was already, mm, a block and a half down the road. George had Parkinson's and could barely walk and he was a block and a half down the road. George, come back. Gotta go. See you later. It was like Mary Poppins, but the homeless Tallahassee version. <laughs> Lord, is that you? It might be when you love the least. It might be. It might be. Love the least, love the last, love the poor. Be with them because that's where Jesus is. And when you love them, you just might be loving the Lord himself. Would you pray with me? So actually I'm gonna teach everybody to do prayer that I do with my kids every day on the way to school. So I want you to put your hand over your heart. Kids and grownups alike. Pray this with me. Father, help me to love the world like you love it. Grow my heart to be like yours. And now point to your eyes. Say, Jesus, help me to see you in everyone I meet today. And help me to see the way you see. All right, now point to your ears. Say, Holy Spirit, help me to hear your voice and give me courage to do whatever you say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, we have some prayer team available over here. If you need prayer for anything, for healing, for help, for anything you're going on, going on, come get prayer otherwise. Go in God's grace. We'll see you next week.